Welcome to the Salty Pastor, Episode 5, with Dr. Douglas Peak. Uh, this week we are going to be start talking about a brand new series that we're brand starting here series. at Foothills. Yep. Um, what that means in practical application mm-hmm. and how the Lord has already given us most of the instructions that we need to navigate this crisis if we just look in the right place. Look in the right place. All right. Without further ado, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jesse. I love that radio voice. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I always get the, uh, I have a face for radio yeah, comment. Yes, so. I, I but now we're on good. YouTube. So oh, it's, my uh... goodness. That's not good. So <laughs> go to the podcast and listen. Please do me a favor. And if you're listening to the Salty Pastor today, uh, go to your podcast app and then make sure you give it a five-star rating. Absolutely. And you have to kind of scroll down. Like if you're using the Apple podcast app. Yeah. Um, they've moved things around a little bit. You have to scroll down on the um, actual episode once you've started listening to it, and it's down at the bottom. You can leave a review. So. You leave a review. Or yeah. on the show yeah. page. So either okay. way. And what that does is that uh, tells the algorithm that people are listening, and then as people are searching uh, for answers, then our option will pop up in their search results. And so it's a great evangelistic tool because people right now in this world are really asking asking a lot of questions about what in the world is going on. And the last thing they need to do is find more garbage to try to answer those questions. Yeah, because, you know, uh, here at Foothills, we're distinctly focused on two things. Number one is Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the scriptures and how they reveal who Jesus is to us. So that's really our two primary focuses on everything that we do and our teaching and study and everything. And so I think that that's what the world needs right now. Absolutely. So let's talk about this brand new series. We spent nine weeks talking about FH Strong before Mm -hmm. this podcast even started. We were in that series. Now we're moving into a new series. What is it all about? Well, this series is really about how we deal with change and how we navigate change in our lives because there's this age-old equation that I have heard for the last, you know, 30 years uh, that I've been in the ministry, and that is, is that whenever you have change, and change is constant, right? But whenever you have change, that always creates pain. You know, there's, you have to adjust to the change, and that's painful. And what pain does is it brings loss, you know? It's the pain that you feel is the pain of loss. It's like, well, man, there were some nice things in the way it was, and now I have to adapt to the new thing, and that creates loss. Now, whenever you have loss in your life, there's actually a process of grief. You see, you grieve the loss. Right. And so it can be a severe grief, an intense grief, or it might be a mild grief. And so it's all about this process that we as human beings go through as we face change. And so all of this is happening in this new study in the context of a family. And it's happening in a family in the Old Testament that had faced a lot of change and some of the change that they were facing was due to their own decisions and so it's the ramifications of this and how they navigated it so I think it's going to be a really great series that we can go back thousands and thousands of years read about this family and what they went through and then that's going to help us glean very specific principles that really help us navigate all the massive changes that are happening in the world right now. So you talked about us studying a family. Who, what will we be studying in this series? Well, we're in Genesis 
the book of Genesis. So we're going way back. We're going, we're going way back to the beginning. Way back, that's right. And it's Genesis chapter 37 through 45. It's the story of Joseph. And it's a really big story. And uh, it covers the early history of the family, the original family that became known as the Israelites. Or today we call them the Jewish people. So everybody who is ethnically, ethnically Jewish is a genetic offspring of these original people. Okay. Now, what can you tell us about this family? I mean, it sounds like they made a lot of different choices, and I know some of these stories are more well-known than others yes. uh, about Joseph. I mean, there's even a Broadway musical after yeah. the man, so it's like <laughs> we've had various uh, versions of his story, but what are you focusing on? All of it? Are we narrowing the focus to very specific instances? Yeah, well, we're going to try to cover what happened in Joseph's life in particular in the family he came from, and um, it's interesting because Genesis where this occurs is often misconstrued as a book that's just about the creation of the world. You know, how God created In the, the beginning. World. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel a little yeah. bit as like so, a sadder end to that portion. Yeah. And then they just kind of scoot on, right? Yes, but actually it's, it's not a big chunk of the book. The biggest chunk of the book, and it starts in about chapter 11, for chapter 12 is there's in that in those first 10 11 chapters a lot of stuff happens you know over thousands of years a lot of big events happen and then and then it picks up with Abraham okay and then the rest of the book from chapter 12 all the way to the end chapter 50 is all about this original family and so you know Abraham uh, is a descendant of Noah and he's about nine generations. So Noah, right, has mm-hmm. three sons. The man with the boat, right? The man with the boat. He has three sons, and they brought their wives with them. And so after the, the water subside, they come out, and they, they plant, and they immediately start repopulating. So nine generations later. So this could be almost a 1,000 years yeah. later. Well, and they lived yeah. a lot. Yes. Longer back then, yeah. too. So Which there's been some, uh, since we've mapped the human genome, you know, in 2001, there's been a lot of research into that. And uh, before, people used to say, critics say, well, obviously the Old Testament is false because people couldn't live that long. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Right. And so, but what they're finding is through genetic research is that the the genome in early humans was much more pure is much stronger and so people would live a whole lot longer because when you look at the process of aging it has to do with uh, i think it, the term is temeromes and it's the very end of the chromosomal chain in there and how each time it, it a little bit gets clipped right. off and so if that process wasn't happening, people could live for 500 longer. years. And so now they're finding a, uh, a scientific explanation for how that would have happened. And as a matter of fact, it's driving the research for people who are fight, fighting the anti-aging. Right. You know, they're trying to figure out how do we return how, to how that? How do we go back? How do we go well, back? and it's also interesting, too, I think, because obviously, like, our environments change so much. And that yeah. probably has a lot of uh, effect on how our... Um, DNA has been mutated, quote unquote, yeah. over mm-hmm. the years is just the amount of stuff that we've added into our environment. It, they didn't have as much going on to corrupt everything yeah. back then. Well, there's, there, you know, I mean, you take thousands of years and you take thousands of generations, you know, and you can kind of 
uh, see how how that would happen. Right. But now they're trying to figure out almost how do we return to this. So that's kind of how these people. So it, nine generations could easily have been a thousand to fifteen hundred years. Right. Just that nine generations. And over that period of time, these people were having, when you look at the genealogies in the Old Testament, you know, they say the son of, the son of. Nobody really reads that because it's so boring. <laughs> it's like terms and conditions yeah. for, your, for your app installs. Yeah, nobody, uh, nobody <laughs> you know, click, I accept, move on. Um, and so what happens, though, is, is that uh, mathematicians, you know, have studied this and said, well, over nine generations in 1,500 years, you'd go from a population of 20 people you know, to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. So it could, it could grow pretty quick. Right. And so what happened is in in Genesis, because it starts at about that, uh, about 20% in, it starts with his family. And so you have Abraham and he was married to uh, Sarah and they were living in the land of Ur, you are, which is kind of like modern day Kuwait. Okay. And so what happened is, is the Lord tells him, I want you to move and he's advancing years. So he moves with his wife. It's called the Fertile Crescent. Mm-hmm. And so he basically marches north and a little bit west. So north by northwest, he marches up through what is today Iraq, um, up through the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley, and which is a very, can be, could be a very lush val- valley because they could irrigate and all that kind of stuff, all the way up until he gets up probably to around mount, modern Turkey, kind of the southeastern corner of Turkey, and then he hangs a big left, and he marches straight down south, and he goes into what is known as the land of Canaan, which is today modern-day Israel. Okay. Okay? So while he's doing that, he has these adventures and these different things like that, and he's trying to figure out God because, you know, God would appear to him and tell him something, and then he wouldn't really hear much else, and there was no scriptures, there was nothing to read, and so... He was kind of lost a little bit, but right. he just, over time, he made a lot of mistakes. But over time, he kept believing what God originally had told him, is, is I think the essence of the point. And then what happens is they have one child named Isaac, and then that's where he really has a big confrontation with God. Right. But before Isaac was Ishmael, and this is one of his mistakes, and it was kind of because of the influence of his wife. And she said, well, since I'm since God's not delivering on his promise, why don't you sleep with my my best friend my maidservant my partner like like my sister not right. technically a sister but like that uh hagar and so he goes well okay because this was accepted to to have a uh, you know carry on the family name right. and so she gave hagar gave birth to a son named ishmael and ishmael today is considered the father of the arab nations and all muslims track their heritage or their ancestry back to Ishmael. Okay. So, and so Ishmael is the half-brother of Isaac. And all Jews track their heritage back to Isaac. Isaac. So what we see today is a very extended family conflict. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's actually very fascinating because... Yeah. There's so much going on between that, and it's, so it's yeah. just this. It's almost like what's that uh, American trope with the two families? The they tend to be oh the Hatfields and yeah the, McCoys. the Hatfields yeah. and the McCoys. I mean that's very reductive, but it's yeah. kind of uh, this thing that's just gone on forever. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so people are like, why do they hate each other so much? And 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 so there there's something going on besides just geopolitical forces. There's right. something 
spiritual, I think, happening in that. And, and it would be great at another time to dig into that. But basically, what happened is Isaac then has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob ends up having 12 sons. So, I'm sorry, no, Jacob, yeah, Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons by four different women. And that's where you start to really see the dysfunction happening, okay? And Jacob, in his story, before he comes back, he goes off, he works for, like, his uncle, uh, who was the second cousin, I think, of his dad. So he goes over, works for the uncle, and he wants to work for a number of years because he falls in love with his third or fourth cousin, which is Rebecca. She's beautiful. And so what happens is he marries Rebecca, but Laban tricked him, and he actually married Rebecca's sister, Leah. So I feel so bad for Leah, man. You know what I'm saying? She's like the... Yeah, used by dad. Not not first choice of your husband. Ouch, I just, my heart goes out to her. But um, the one thing about Leah is she she birthed a lot of kids, you know, which was uh, a glory to her, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know. And so, but then uh, Isaac worked, uh, um, I'm sorry, Jacob worked, Isaac was his dad. See, even I get all these names confused. (laughs) But Jacob worked for another seven years and then marries Rebecca. And then he goes back, and in this process, God shows, an angel of the Lord, you know, they think it was an archangel, uh, shows up, and he sees Jacob's ladder, and, and he contends with this angel, so he's wrestling with God, contends with God, and so the angel dislocates his hip, which that would really hurt. But what happens is, so that's like the most painful thing that can happen to you. It's not like life-threatening, but it's just so painful, which is really an interesting thing here because what he does, though, is in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his contention, in his struggle with this servant of God, who he suffers great pain, he refuses to let go. So he refuses to let go, no matter how much it hurts. And so the servant of the Lord says, why won't you let me go? He goes, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so then the angel blesses him, and then he lets go. And then that doesn't mean he becomes a perfect guy, right. but his name is changed ensuing to Israel. So his name changes from Jacob to Israel. And Israel, in the nation, the term today, Israel, means to contend with God. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's funny. It is. So it means to contend with God. So if you're Jewish, your relationship with God is one is is always, you're always contending. You know, it's always a struggle (laughs) to figure it out, which then that's why when Jesus comes along and he says, I have come to bring peace. That's why there was such, it was such a radical notion to thousands and thousands of years of people following God but contending with him constantly. Right. You know what I'm saying? Struggling with that. And then Jesus shows up and says, I'm here to bring peace. No more contending. You're now fully. And so that you can see that, wow, what a radical shift in thinking right. that was. But in this family in particular, um, uh, what happens is the story of Joseph is that uh, Leah, who he married first, had like four kids and then her there were two servants one of Rebecca and one of Leah and back then we don't understand what this is but it was basically a woman 
who may have not have been uh, an offspring of the thing is like, I want to be bonded as a sister to this person. So they're like best friends. They're bonded together. They called them maidservants. Right. You know, and our tradition today is when you get married, a woman has a maid of, maid honor. of honor. So see, all these traditions we have come in these ancient, ancient historical things. But what happens is there was Zil- Bilhah and Zilpah. I think I get that right. And <laughs> what happens is then, so then Jacob sleeps with Bilhah and Zilpah and they both have kids. And then Leah has more kids. And during the whole time, he loves Rebecca the most. You know, she was closest to him. He loved her the most, but she could never bear children. See, then, so, so now he's got 10 kids. All right. Now you think about this. If a child is born, you know, every two or three years, you got 10 kids, easily 30 some years could of, go by. Yeah. So your oldest, which is your very first born is Reuben. Reuben could be 30, 35 years old. You know, he's a grown man, married, maybe even has his own kids. Right. Kind of a thing. And then what happens is then Rebecca gets pregnant and Rebecca gives birth to Joseph. And this is late in Jacob's life. So finally... Rebecca gets pregnant. He's much older. So what does Joseph become? The favorite. The favorite spoiled little guy. And then right after Joseph is born, Rebecca, we don't know how long, but Rebecca becomes pregnant a second time. But then she dies in childbirth. Mm. So she dies when she gives birth to, they actually called him Benoaim or something like that, but... His dad called him Benjamin, which is a more affectionate term. You know, right. it sweetens it up. Like you have, you, know, you might have a, a Steve, but your dad calls you Stevie. Or right. your name might be Ken, and they, your dad calls you Kenny. Kenny. Right. You know, it's kind of like an affectionate term, I guess, a change of it. Yeah. So, so Jacob has these 12 kids, right? And here's what's really interesting, you know, is they're all boys. <laughs> And they all have different moms, you know, they're kind of in chunks. And the thing that they do is they all, because there's so many boys and because Jacob, who is Israel now, has made good choices. They're living in really great land. If you've ever been to Israel, you can see, okay, now I understand why this was called the promised land, so much of it. And um, is their flocks grew tremendously. And so they would travel tens, maybe hundreds of miles taking care of these massive flocks in these massive valleys. And so they became very wealthy and spread out. And that's what this story is about, is how this Joseph then grows up uh, spoiled, right, by his dad, so much so that his dad gives him an opulent symbol of favoritism, you know, be like, uh, how many kids are in your family? How many siblings do you have? I have three siblings, so four of us total. A total of four, and you have two sisters that are twins, right? Correct. So, so you know, just hypothetically, what if your mom or your dad showed up one day and said to your little brother, you know, you're you're out trying to work and spend money, you know, find enough money to buy a car. You know, right. your sisters are working because they're trying to buy bicycles or something like that. And your mom or your dad shows up and says to your little brother, uh, hey, I'm going to buy you a Lamborghini. 
There would be a little bit of rage, probably. There would be a little bit of rage going on, and that's what you see here. And it, what's interesting is that when you read through the 37th chapter, what you do is is the author, uh, who is uh, Moses, is pointing out how this created a deep-seated bitterness Absolutely. in this family. And the normal sibling rivalry just spun absolutely out of control until it became a murderous rage. And what's interesting is Joseph, on the one side of it, contributed to that rage. You know, he he he's not blameless in the situation. No, either he was absolutely unequivocally oblivious, which I don't think so, because it starts when he's 17. Now, I realize when you're 17, you're like not... I've, I've worked with a lot of teenagers. It is, it is possible to be pretty oblivious, but this might be a, a yeah. step further. Yeah, it's a step further. That is, is that he, he had dreams. He shared these dreams. He didn't... You know, what's interesting is the author, because you see this throughout, you know, so many of the books that Moses wrote, is that, is that he didn't seek any counsel. He didn't seek any advice, even from his father, on how to deal with this. He didn't contend with the Lord over what they meant. As soon as they happened, he just went out there, you know, basically, and shared them with people that were already not happy with him in his family. And so uh, it's really interesting because what ends up happening in this chapter is his brothers are so enraged by it that... Uh, he's always at home. And I don't think people really understand what's going on here. And some notes that I have in my, in my Bible about it is this, is in chapter 37, verse 14, it says, or for, verse 13, Israel says to his son Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I'm going to send you to them. And Joseph said, I will go. I'll go do it. And so... What happens is he sends them in verse 14. He says, go and see about the welfare of your brothers. Go check on them. Okay. And so he sends him from the valley of Hebron all the way to Shechem. And what people don't realize is that's 55 miles north. Back in the day when you had to hoof it or ride a horse or something of that nature. Yeah. They were not horsemen. You know, they walked. And so... How long would it take you? Let's just say back then, you know, I mean, uh, a young man could maybe do 10, 15 miles a day. Right. You know, so, I mean, he's he's asked to do a easily a four or five day journey north just to find his brothers. He gets there and his brothers and all the family business isn't there. So he asks other people. And if you've been to Israel, it's really cool because you can see these valleys, you know, and they're just amazing. They're massive. And but then he, he has to go then to find him in another spot, and that's another 18 miles away. Oh, my gosh. So he's, so he's going to find them, and what happens is the brothers see him coming from far off, which is easy to do. Uh, when we went to Israel, uh, Pastor Harv takes us up onto this, uh, this one overlook. You know, it's just really, really cool. You could sit there, and, and you, could, you can see the whole valley for you know, 20, 30, 40 miles across, you know, it's just green with great place to pasture animals. And, and so if you were a uh, shepherd, you know, you would pitch your tent up there in a nice vantage point to see your flocks. You could see them spreading out and stuff. You could see predators coming in. You could see all of this stuff. And so they see Joseph coming from a long way off and shepherds, their primary goal is, well, we got to, constantly watch out for predators protecting our flocks that's the number one thing water 
grazing predators and they see them coming off and they haven't seen him in a while but they're still so mad when they show up they launch a plot to basically murder him mm. and what's interesting is the very first born out of all of them who's reuben talks all of his brothers out of killing him right on the spot and says well, let's throw him in a pit and reuben's plan was this I'm going to go back when, in, at night when all my brothers are there sleeping. I'm going to get him out of the hole and send him back to dad. Right. He's, he's being the typical big brother, which is I got to manage all of the other ones. <laughs> yeah. I get that. Oldest <laughs> child. I get it. I commiserate with Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> so you understand Ruben's predicament. What happens is, you know, so they throw him in a pit and he's down there. They take his, his uh, opulent coat off of him, his multicolored coat. And what they do is they see a group of Ishmaelites, remember Ishmael, Mm -hmm. (laughs) passing through. And so they sell him to the Ishmaelites and they sell him for 20 shekels. Okay. And here's what's interesting is in that time, 20 shekels would be about 80 days worth of wages. So about not quite three months worth of pay. So. But that was also the equivalent of a lame slave. So they sold their 17-year-old brother brother for the price of a a lame lame slave. Yeah, a slave that couldn't walk. So Ishmaelites took him. They take him down to Egypt because they were traitors. You know, they were taken down uh, to Egypt. And while they were there, they sell him. And the person who buys him is Potiphar, who is an Egyptian, who is head of the guard for Pharaoh. So he was a man of position, a man of wealth, and so he buys him. So that's what this whole first chapter is all about, how this one dysfunction sets in motion massive things. Yeah. So is that what we're focusing on on Sunday? Is that what our first message is on? We've we've done a lot of history on on this first part. We, We went back to the beginning and kind of trace lineage and kind of set up a lot of the um, exposition, I guess, around this yeah. main story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we covering on Sunday? What's this first message going to be focused on? Well, this first message is this, is that uh, when you step back and look at the story of this family, what you see is you see uh, a disruption, okay? So massive change happened very quickly. Um, the change came because they made a decision to change the normal. Right. See, there was this normal, and they'd all adapted to it, and they'd all become successful, right? Successful business. They were fairly wealthy. But this burned in them, so they make a decision. And in the making of that decision, it immediately brings a massive change. No one could expect what the change was, and that's called a disruption, right? Right. For, for whatever reason, massive change came really, really quick. And what that disruption does is that... Uh, not only set into a course of action, but it begins to pull apart all the the fractures in the old normal. Right. You know, and that's because what disruptions do, change do, is it increases pressure. So the greater the change, the greater the pressure. And what pressure always does is seek the weakest part. It reveals weakness. It reveals the weaknesses and it, whatever is under pressure comes shooting out. If it's air or water or anger right. or hurt or bitterness or feelings of insecurity or insufficiency, 
fear, you know, and what is happening. So what we're going to do is that is that you're transferring from the old normal to the new normal, and that's going to be changed. What we faced is a massive disruption, a massive change, and it is going to increase the pressure in your life, and every weakness, flaw, or fracture is going to be exposed. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about the first week. All right. Well, that'll be, uh, I'm sure, lighthearted in all ways and aspects. But I think it's important. I think it's what people need to hear. So um, as we're wrapping up in the last couple minutes that we have, are there principles that we can see that impact what we're going through now that are going to be kind of coming through on this? Is it more on that, you know, just the pressure of change is causing these weaknesses to be revealed? Well, I think the general principles are, are number one is that because we live in a world that has evil in it, you're always going to be faced with change. Right. Okay, you just can't escape it. There's, it's going to influence you or impact you at some level. Okay? So uh, we have no idea why the coronavirus, you know, got out or where it came from. Uh, it comes out of every small area, and it infected the whole world very quickly. Um, what, this is what we do know. This is a fact. And even the WHO... Uh, the World Health Organization has finally admitted this, is that China lied about what was going on. And because of that is why it got out so f- and went global. So we do know that. So, so the bottom line is, is that, and I'm not trying to disparage the Chinese government, but I, I just want to point out a fact, and that is, is because they did something evil, they lied. Lying is evil. Right. They did that. And so now everybody else has to deal with that right Right. we're all being impacted by evil impacts other people whether you want it to or not it does satan loves it that's why he's evil (laughs) he tries to do as much as he can so so regardless of that the principle number one is that we live in a world we're going to always face change and a lot of times those changes are going to be major disruptions the second thing is this is that no matter how much evil is out there god always redeems and brings victory over it. Not, that's one of the most powerful messages of hope that you'll ever hear, you see, and that is is that Jesus conquered death. He conquered the effects of evil. Right. And that's really such a powerful thing. And so what we're going to do is that the best way to have hope in your life, the best way to adopt and change into the new normal and, and to feel like it was a process of growth and that you feel stronger and wiser and you see new heights and you do new things and new blessing in your life is because you see that God has the power to redeem anything. He has the power to sustain you through anything and is you said earlier if we know where to look you know if we go back into the ancient truths of the scriptures then what we will discover more than anything else is how to navigate it and so i I think these messages from this family are going to show us that even when things look the darkest there's always a new day dawning god is always sovereign god is always bringing hope in the midst of darkness Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for episode five. Again, just want to remind you uh, to like and subscribe on our YouTube channel or leave a five-star review 
um, in the podcast app of your choice. Um, we really appreciate that because these messages really need to be shared with other people, and that is best done through you guys. We can only do so much. So we appreciate you joining us, and make sure you tune in for our episode on Thursday, episode six. We'll continue diving in on what this next sermon is going to be and how we can apply it. All Thanks right. for joining us. Okay.